You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. And welcome into part two of The Scrimmage this week. Woo! Uh, yeah, we'd, we're getting it going again. Thank you for tuning in for our second part of this episode. Our sponsors are Oli Penn Real Estate, State Farm Agent Mark Rossetti, and the law offices of Jeff Free A. Domashevitz. And we got a lot of good stuff to talk about, including our Athlete of the Week, some interesting proposals on maybe some new rules for the NCAA, and don't forget one of our favorites, the Mailbag, which has some really fun discussion topics in it as well, including toilet paper. How could we not talk about that? But first, a commercial break. The team of realtors at Olipen Real Estate wish you and your family good health during this stay home, stay safe time. Their team has health and safety measures in place to protect you and everyone involved in the process. If you're thinking about selling your home, now is a great time. There are more buyers than available homes. Many homes are still receiving multiple offers and are selling for above asking price. Olipen Real Estate will help you put the most money possible in your pocket in less time without the hassle. Visit sellmyharborhome.com to get your home market ready. The Oli Pen team is ready to work for you. All right, so with that, that's a it's a pretty good segue in that commercial from Oli Pen right there as they are a sponsor of the Oli Pen Real Estate Athlete of the Week or as we have changed it now because no athletics are going on, the historical athlete of the week. And she is the Grace Harbor College women's men's golf coach, Ann Swanson. Ann Swanson is um, not only an excellent coach and her coaching endeavors have been great, not only for Grace Harbor College, but for other places. But uh, I looking into some of her history Man, we have got to find a way to interview this person. Her uh, athletic history is awesome. Um, she is currently entering her fifth season as the coach up at Grace Harbor College. Um, her teams have collected three team wins with five individual winners as she's kind of turned that program around. Um, her resume when she was playing, though, she... Graduated from Grace Harbor College, where she was the first female golfer at the school and in the NWAC playing on the men's team. And she was good enough to compete there, not only compete, but uh, she has um, a bunch of championship victories over four decades of playing. Um, she enjoyed success at the national level, including three appearances in the USGA Women's Open. Uh, 25 USGA amateur events and the women's British Open amateur. Um, a couple of her wins include the National Club Championship and Senior Amateur Championship of America um, in the state and regional competitions. Uh, she was amazing. She has a combined 30 victories in state and regional championships around the area. Just absolutely ridiculous. This is one of my favorite parts here, though. Two of her hallmark victories include winning the Washington State Championship and the Seattle Amateur in a walking cast wow. after breaking her leg. What? Um, just another person who apparently could beat me on one leg. So, you know, there's that. Uh <laughs> 
she currently serves on the board of directors of the Pacific Northwest Golf Association, which she is in their Hall of Fame as well. Um, she's also on the board for the Washington State Women's Golf Association and the Ladies National Golf Association. She's authored two books on women's golf, one of which was selected for the USGA Library of History. She is the founder and director of the GHC Elite Golf Camps, which is held each summer at the home course. And she is a member of five halls of fame, including the Pacific Northwest Golf Hall of Fame. Um, she was, like I mentioned before, she was the first female golfer at GHC in 1964. I believe that was before Title IX, so... They didn't have a women's team. She played on the men's team. She was the first female NWAC golfer, nine-time state amateur champion, and uh, she's among all the other Halls of Fame. She's in the NWAC Hall of Champions. Um, she also served as the assistant coach for the women's team at the University of Washington, and and that was under a Hall of Fame member, Eden. Oh, I should have read that name before. Adine <laughs> Elenfeld. I'm going to go with. Um, so, yeah, just seriously, some of the stories that I think that she must have, that just seems absolutely fascinating to me. To get a chance to talk to her and catch some of those stories, I think would be amazing. But I think the first thing I would ask her about is, hey, you won two tournaments on one leg. How? <laughs> Yeah, I have two major takeaways from this. One is that you repeatedly said Halls of Fame, which really, in my opinion, strengthens the RSBI um, <laughs> argument. Uh, it's not Hall of Fames, it's Halls of Fame, and it's not Run Batted mm. Ins, it's Runs Batted In, so it's RSBI. The other thing is, this woman, with half the amount of legs that I have, would probably also have half the score that I would. <laughs> and you might think that I'm exaggerating, but I'm literally not exaggerating. Half the legs, half the score. Now, as a terrible golfer, I'm going to let you and Jimmy, as decent golfers, finish up this segment. <laughs> decent is generous. Wordage. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jimmy, you can talk about this a little bit more, though. How hard would it... I'm trying to think of front foot or back foot how do you complete a golf swing with one with well, one leg and a walking boot? Definitely depends. Has a big uh, difference between which leg it was. If it was the her back foot, if she's a right-handed golfer, if it was her right foot, I could see that being manageable. But your torque leg would be your front leg twisting on that. There'd just be no way if it was that one. I would see she would definitely have to. Uh, tailor her game in a completely different style than what she was probably accustomed to playing probably uh three quarter shots even if it was that black back leg but man i i i, I mean just playing like in that situation is amazing enough to not only and then compete and then win that's ridiculous <laughs> i don't know I wonder, I'm curious, because usually in tournaments, you're not allowed to use carts either. Uh, right? No, that's, that's only for the PGA. There's okay. a many, there's many different levels that do allow carts, so I okay. don't know what she was playing in. She okay. could have had to walk. I don't know. That should be something you should ask her. Yeah, because 
if she had to walk, I mean, because that's the other thing. If she had to walk 18 holes as well, that's insane. Wow. But yeah, it's, I, I just want to throw this out there. A golf club looks kind of like a leg. Could you shove one of your golf clubs <laughs> up your pants and use it as an extra leg? Well, she didn't have her leg amputated. She had a walking boot on. Well, no, but just to reinforce it, just to reinforce it. Like it's like a splint. You have a walking boot. You put that golf club up your pants and Justin, just kind of go. You could have a steel way. bar sure, reinforcing yes. your leg in the boot, but it's still going to be difficult to golf on on said leg. I'm going to level with you. I just wanted to picture it. I'm, <laughs> I'm just imagining someone using a golf club as an extra leg. Oh. And if now you did I'm that, what, which one would you use? Which, which club would you use? I feel oh, like a putter is a natural be- choice. It'd have to be yeah. like a putter is a natural choice, but you need your putter a lot. Like, wouldn't we want to use a club that you wouldn't have to take out of your pants every time you want to use it? <laughs> you use your putter a lot, but you, there's other clubs that you can use as a putter, and everything else would be too long. <laughs> and also, you're a Hargrove, so you've probably bent three of your irons around a tree already. So how many irons do you have left? Don't say. <laughs> Another question uh, for a Har- I've got another question for a Hargrove golfer. When okay. you chuck your club into a water trap, do you dive in after it, or do you just let Oddly it be and enough, get it? Have you ever done? Oddly that? enough, I have never done that. <laughs> I have witnessed a playing partner do that, which he abruptly looked at us, grabbed his bag, and said, "I'm going home." <laughs> In the middle of the round. Who was it? Come on, blast. <laughs> oh man, shoot! I forget his name, but this was back when I was in high school. Was it in a tournament? No, oh, it was. Okay. It was in a just. It was during practice, but <laughs> it was hilarious. I saw one. I saw someone go into a water hazard once during golf, and uh, it didn't end well. They lost their hand to an alligator. Also, it was in Happy Gilmore. So, um, I guess that's not real life. Chubbs. What? Chub. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, again, we try and apparently derail all of our historical yeah. athletes of the week with ridiculous <laughs> discussions afterwards. Okay, that was uh, a pointed comment because I'm the one who derails athletes of the week. <laughs> Actually, it was you gotta no, it wasn't pointed because I didn't have to bring up the quesadilla <laughs> thing last week. So Again, uh, congratulations, Ann Swanson. She's currently the Grace Harbor College men's golf coach, and she is our Oli Penn Real Estate Historical Athlete of the Week. And again, just amazing accomplishments. And I think what would be fascinating stories if we ever get a chance to, you know, do interviews again, which would be a lot of fun to figure that out. So, Justin, uh, we have some interesting things to talk about with the NCAA there's been a bunch of different stuff coming out with uh, especially the the fact that they could have their images or likenesses they might be able to make money on that but Jim Harbaugh threw out some of his thoughts about what he thought might be some good changes for the NCAA to make yeah Jim Harbaugh wrote basically just an open letter to anyone who was interested Um, I don't know how easy many of these changes would be 
to implement and Jim Harbaugh is not a person that I typically like to root for or listen to. But I thought uh, if I just go like some basic bullet points of what he was generally saying, if you want the whole letter, um, I believe it was originally tweeted out and made public by Adam Schefter. So if you go to Adam Schefter's Twitter account, which is at Adam Schefter, um, you can find the whole letter. Um, but some of the things that I found most interesting in it were five proposals. One of them was the elimination of the three years out of high school rule, which would mean that immediately out of high school, anyone would be eligible um, to enter the NFL, that they wouldn't have to go to college for any amount of time. Um, another part of it was five years of eligibility. So basically he wants to eliminate grad transfers and red shirts and just say everyone can have five years of eligibility. Um, I, I My understanding was that he felt like that just makes everything a little bit more above board. If you're not required to do anything weird. Um, there was also a part of this where he was saying that a player, he thinks all players should be able to transfer one time without a penalty of having to sit out for a year. Um, another bullet point was players could return to college football if not drafted or signed in the NFL. So every player would be eligible to enter the NFL draft. And then if they're not selected and they don't choose to sign with anyone as an unrestricted free agent, they would retain their college eligibility and could return to college and play. Um, he also has suggested that, you know, in order to make the academic part of it a little bit more legitimate, that players should be able to return to college and complete their degree at the university's ex expense. And there's a, a scale he had, like, if you go to college for one year, you should get one year at the university's expense. If you go to college for two years, then you should be able to finish a four or, or five year degree and anything more than two years, you could come back and finish your degree um, basically at the college's expense. And then the other big one was that players would be allowed to talk to agents. No money would be allowed to be exchanged between player and agent or between agent and player, but they would be, be able to speak to agents and kind of get an idea of what they might be expecting on the next level and as long as no money changed hands, that they would be okay. Um, I think a lot of these things are interesting because it empowers the players and student-athletes a lot more than what they have right now. Now, I know in the NBA, a lot of people hate the one-and-done rule, and there's been a lot of speculation that it's probably going to be gone um, within the next few years. But very few people complain about the fact that you have to be three years out of high school to play NFL football. And I'm kind of curious what you guys think about that, because I am generally in favor of the student, the quote unquote student athlete or, you know, the individual who is legally an adult um, having more control over their situation. So what do you guys think about the idea that, a high school student could jump straight to the NFL if they were ready. I think, I mean, shoot, if they're ready, go for it. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest reason why I don't feel like you would see this very often is football is such a sport where you need extra time to grow and get more strength. And that just, I mean, no matter how refined your skill is being able to have the strength to compete at that level, I don't think you would see anybody jumping straight from high school. Gosh, I'd be shocked if you saw that. I 
I think that it's would be good for them to have that option after, like he said, after whatever season that they choose, they can go to the NFL. Like I, I think, yeah, if you think you're ready and you want to take that risk, then, then go for it. Um, I think that the stipulation in there is kind of cool that if the individual is not drafted within the first 224 picks of the NFL draft, he would be able to return to college football if he chooses without penalty. I think that's kind of interesting. In basketball, currently, you can throw your hat, your name into the hat for the the draft as long as you don't hire an agent. And it's kind of a way for players to test the waters and see where they might get picked and if that's something they want to do. So this would kind of be an extended version of that. Um, I think that would well, be very interesting. Well, it's basically – sorry to cut you off, Daniel. It's basically what baseball does. You can enter the baseball, the major league baseball draft, and then if you don't get picked where you want to get picked, you can still go to college. Um, and it, I also feel like for clarification, it's worth noting that 224 picks, I don't know why he chose to, that's the whole draft. It's basically saying oh. if you don't get drafted, you can go back. So um, anyways, go go on with what you're what you were saying. Okay, I was a little I was a little curious as to where that number came from and where that would end <laughs> up being in the draft. So that is kind of funny that that's the entire draft. But uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting was the five years of eligibility, because that could help um, different students, student athletes be students, I think. And the reason why I say that is because when we've all heard stories about some of the classes that athletes are encouraged to take, because then they might be easier classes, you know, whatever it is, or maybe they don't take as much time. And I think that's interesting. If you had five years to complete your college, that would lighten your class load. When I went to Grace Harbor College and played baseball there, I had done two years of running start. And so it's normally a two-year college. So I went back for a third year there to play baseball. And because I did that, my class load was significantly lighter than most of the players on my team because you still had to have 12 credits, but normally a full load is 15. So instead of taking three full classes with a bunch of homework to try and do and do sports and, you know, some of the kids had jobs too, it was a lot. But for me, I had 12 credits. So I think I had two normal classes and then I took some PE classes as well. So it was a little bit of a lighter workload. And I'm wondering if everybody has five years of eligibility to play, if they'll have more freedom to take the classes they actually want to take because they have more time to get it done in total. Well, it's kind of a misnomer that a four-year degree is a four-year degree anyway. That's true. It actually takes pretty darn close to five years to complete your four-year degree nowadays. So I think that would definitely help. And, you know, honestly, I don't know how much lighter it would make the load. I think a lot of these maybe student-athletes who are trying to do both play and get their degree at the same time in that four years, they're kind of overloaded maybe actually instead of, because a lot of people getting a four year degree, it really takes them at least two uh, semesters past the fourth year to get that four year degree. So yeah, you're kind of trying to cram it all into those four years and giving them that fifth year, I think would help. I think a a lot of the hard part about this is just a lot of times when people think about these things, they're thinking about the elite athletes. I mean, the, by a large margin, 
most athletes in all of collegiate sports are going to college on scholarships so that they can get a degree. Um, I know that there may be, and even Harbaugh acknowledged in his letter that there's not going to be very many guys who are ready to be on an NFL team right out of high school. You know, there's, there's a, there may be a few really, really special athletes who are physically ready to be on an NFL roster right away. The problem is, and I'd go back to the NBA with this, the reason why the NBA instituted the one-and-done rule in the first place is because basketball teams were always trying to get ahead on that next generational player. And at the time when they instituted that rule, I thought it was a good idea because I just kept seeing over and over again um, kids repeatedly getting drafted out of high school and then not being close to ready, and then they have no career, um, end up having no career in the NBA. And it became kind of a problem to where it affected the NBA's um, product because these guys who could could turn out to be good players end up not being good players because everyone's fighting over who's going to be the next big thing. So I think there would need to be some kind of a real like you need to have an actual group of people like some kind of committee that would be able to advise the guys who are considering going straight out of high school or going one year out of college to say, you know, someone who doesn't have a stake in the game. Like maybe you could put together some former players, uh, maybe some former front office guys, some former scouts that don't have ties to any particular team that could really give these guys a good idea of here's what you're looking at. Because what they need to do is save the NFL. They would need to save the NFL teams from themselves. Like every NFL team would want to go get the greatest high school player that was out there, draft them right away. They're young. They've got lots of tread on the tires. You can, but then when you pick one of those guys like that, especially if you pick them early in the first round, there's pressure to get them on the field right away. There needs to be some kind of something implemented by the NFL. If that's the rule where these guys aren't thrown into the fire right away to where it detriment, it's a detriment to their career yeah. in the long run. You could do something like baseball, how baseball's set up where they got different levels I mean, the number one draft pick there never sees the major league field for at least two or three seasons. So I think, I don't know, does the NFL have a developmental league? No, yeah, I think no. That would college be football that, is the NFL's developmental league. And that's why, like, the NFL loves the way things are right now because they have a free developmental league. Yeah. Baseball has to pay for their developmental league. So maybe this bigger solution to this would be that the NFL, you know, pitches something in. And, and has like an actual partnership with college football because then they could have some action. They could work together on making college football a developmental league and not, you know, masquerading as some kind of a student athlete amateur sport that's making millions of dollars at the highest level. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, something I never thought of the NFL partnership that way, but that seems like that would make a lot of sense because in my mind, the NFL needs some sort of developmental league mm -hmm. as it is, even with college football. I mean, I think that's why the XFL was so exciting to see another league. You know, we've seen it in the past with NFL Europe and other different things like that where players could go to develop. And I think that a high school, maybe a high school standout that is just crazy awesome could play at that level and not have to worry about going to college if you know that's not something that they want to do because i think that that's another hard thing with this is these are kids that maybe some of them you know they don't really have any interest in going to a school if they thought that they could just go 
straight to a profession, you know, I mean, just like it was with basketball, how, you know, I mean, LeBron James didn't play college basketball at all. He didn't have to. And I know yeah, those are few and far between because I know there was, as you mentioned, there was a bunch of other high school basketball players that thought they could make that leap and couldn't, but they were still able to make a, a good amount of money by doing it. Well, and like you said, they're few and far between, but they do exist. I mean, even going back as far as Moses Malone, he was like one of the first major guys that came straight out of high school, and he had a great career. You have Kobe Bryant. You have Kevin Garnett. You have lots of good examples of guys who could have come. I mean, I know Kevin Durant was kind of skinny, and Carmelo Anthony maybe wasn't as developed as he could have been. But watching those guys play college basketball in the one-and-done system – you couldn't convince me that those guys weren't ready to move on to the NBA when they were coming straight out of high school. So at least in basketball, those do exist. It might be a little more complicated in football because the sport is so much more physically uh, grueling. Like you just get beaten up. The object of the sport is you get beaten up on a regular basis. So I think even if NFL teams are able to sign players right out of high school or one year out of college, there needs to be something in place that helps them transition, and it needs to be run by people who are not a part of an organization that stands to benefit from whether or not they are on the field immediately. Yeah, but that's not how this world works. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's true. And it's a tough situation, really, because you know I want there, – there aren't very many professions where you just – if you're talented enough, you can't get a job. Um if you're qualified and there's no qualification for playing professional sports, it says you have to have a college degree. There's only some kind of qualification that says you have to be X amount of time out of high school. And it feels a little silly, but I also understand that it's a complicated issue. I would love it. If anybody who listens to the show and has thoughts on this, this, if anybody wants to let us know, you know, right on our Facebook wall or get us on Twitter at the scrimmage and, let us know what you think. We'd love to not only hear your opinions, but also share what you think with uh, with the people who listen to the show. Absolutely. The The other guy that comes to mind, as you just mentioned, there's no requirement that they have to have a college degree or go to a college. And for Anthony Simons for the Portland, Portland Trailblazers ended up not going to a college and just stayed what he stayed at the IMG Academy I think a, another year after he had graduated to play basketball and train and stuff before he right. was drafted by the Blazers the next year and the NBA is addressing this issue in a way because I mean I think everybody believes that within the next two or three years the one and done rule is going to be gone it's almost like the people who are in the know feel like that's set in stone it's going to go back to that way but in the meantime they're offering really good contracts for a special number of guys, a certain number of really special athletes to play in the developmental league straight out of high school. So they're, they're going to have um, a certain number of guys out of high school who are offered, Hey, don't go to college, make half a million dollars and come play in the D league for a year to get ready. And then you can join the NBA after that. So I do feel like basketball is trying to address it, but it's a more complicated issue in football. Yeah, I absolutely agree. What are your um, thoughts about the the transfer, the having the one the one free transfer rule there? Because I think I think that's really interesting too, especially because 
so much of these kids are recruited by coaches yeah. and to play with certain coaches and coaches have nothing that ties them to a school. Like they can jump and leave whenever they want. And so it just makes sense to me that a kid should be able to leave at least, you know, one time yeah. to, and then that they're penalized for it just seems silly. I fully support the idea of one transfer for everyone. Um, because you know, you get into a situation and then the situation can change sometimes, just like you said, not only the coaching situation could change, but they could recruit someone behind you where you could, you can either compete with that guy and it can affect you long-term, or you could decide, Hey, maybe a better option would be for me to go to another school where I'm the highest, highest recorded quarterback, highest recruited quarterback, um, or something like that. I, I feel like I am generally in support of things that will give more flexibility to the players within reason. So I love the idea of everyone being able to have a transfer. Um, And like you said, Daniel, coaches aren't bound by this stuff. There's been tons of times where I think at the very least, anytime a coach leaves, every player who wants to should be allowed to transfer without penalty at the very least. And then in addition to that, yeah. just because of the way things can change and the way situations can change, you give them a little bit more control to change their decision. Andrew, do you got anything? What what piqued your interest the most with it? You kind of brought this to, to my attention. What piqued your well, interest the most with this? For me, this whole issue is not about the elite top 5% of these or maybe even less percent of these athletes that are going to go on to be professional NFL or NBA athletes. But it's about the fact that NCAA and we're mostly talking about football, but NCAA sports is a massive business and they pay everyone involved a lot of money except for the athletes. The athletes get an education, but they have to get it while they're playing. When they're playing professionally, playing is a full-time job. But while they're playing at school, that's they're supposed to be just grateful to be able to go to school while they're playing, honestly, full-time. And so for me, what I, the thing, the people I care about is not the, if people are going to go on and make millions of dollars. If they have to wait next year, I don't care about that nearly as much as I care about what I feel are like the vast majority of college football players who are really talented, but they're going to live their life out on their degree. But to get that degree, they're playing football, but they're not getting paid for it. And they're spending all of their time playing football, so they don't get to have a second job. And if they're really popular, they still can't show up at the mall and sign memorabilia for college football fans because the NCAA won't let them. And that's where I like I'm not willing to 100% stand aside these numbers because I just searched them on the internet. But uh, <laughs> Money Nation is a website that is saying here that the NCAA makes roughly $1 billion per year. Um, and college athletics as a whole, that's including, uh, ticket sales, student fees, in addition to the NCAA's specific money accounts for roughly 12 billion annually. So this is a huge business. A ton of money is being made 
and I feel like it's super incredibly disingenuous of the NCAA to pretend like the athletes that are the actual product of this really lucrative industry are amateurs. They're not so amateurs. They're professionals. And I think that they should be paid. I'm not saying they should be paid a ton of money, but they should be paid and it should be recognized that they are professionals. And also, I really like the idea of them being able to have that. Like, if, if they get a scholarship, they should be able to go back and finish that degree yeah. without having to pay yes. for yeah. it. Because, honestly, the idea of trying to finish a, a, a meaningful four-year degree while playing football or basketball or another major like a sport that takes a lot of hours out of the day that is ridiculous there are people that can do it those people are incredibly exceptional yeah i think like, uh, an, another point was and i forgot to make this point earlier that colleges have the ability to take away any scholarship that they want and another thing I would like to see implemented is that if a college offers you a scholarship and you accept it, that they're offering you the scholarship to finish the degree unless you do something that's, you know, wrong. Yeah. That you should be allowed to finish the degree regardless of whether they want you to play the sport anymore. I wanted to clarify, though, you're talking about revenue generating sports, which is not all sports. Is that website contradicting what I feel like is the general belief that basically football and basketball are the only revenue generating sports basketball only generally makes money during March madness and football only makes lots of money at the top. Is that not accurate based on that? Uh, this is the only thing this website is saying is the yeah. NCAA makes. So it's talking about the yeah. NCAA as a college sports organization. I assume that that is balanced out by sports that don't make money at all. And as Which a is participant, most of right, as a participant in a club sport in college, that's honestly at least as hazardous as football. I understand yep. the concept of, I don't feel I, people should be able to participate in sports. However, if that sport is being televised and making millions or billions of dollars, they should not be treated like they don't actually matter because they're the basic part of that product. I, yeah. If pe people aren't paying millions of dollars for the TV rights for uh, NCAA rugby, if they were, then I would feel like maybe I was owed some money. They should be. I mean, it's better to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah. Andrew played rugby, and we both played football afterwards. Daniel played so rugby. So it's... What? <laughs> I said Daniel also played rugby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get to play as much as you did, though, because I left, I left school a little too early to get in as much as I would have wanted to. But, yeah, it's definitely... A hazardous thing to play, so that's not really the part that's going into it. But finishing I don't know, a four-year degree in four years, am I right, Jimmy? <laughs> I didn't catch that. <laughs> hey, no, it took me five years if you count my running start. <laughs> oh, so. maybe I was five and a half. Let's not talk about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, you want any final words on that? I don't. I agree with almost everything Andrew said, with the the slight caveat that um, non non revenue generating sports should not 
and which is, I believe, is most of them, and even a lot of football cr- programs don't make money, yeah. and the ones that don't make money shouldn't be forced to pay the players. I also think um, that, like Andrew was describing, uh, an athlete who's probably not going to play at the next level, and I think those are the guys who should appreciate the scholarships the most. Um, I just wanted to clarify that point. That doesn't contradict what he was saying, but I just wanted to clarify that point. Yeah, I think, though, even on those non-revenue-generating sports, every once in a while you have an elite uh, athlete that I believe should at least be able to make money off their likeness. I think they should all be able to make money off their likeness. And, in fact, I've been saying – this is going to be me bragging for a second. I've been saying for years, literally (laughs) years, since before we stopped doing the show the first time that I felt like – the most reasonable thing they could do and the best first step would be to do what like literally every other person with freedom in the history of this nation could do, which is make money off of their own likeness. The The yeah. amateurism thing is kind of a sham. It's a self-imposed thing by an organization that created itself and created its own rules in the NCAA and just restricted for basic freedoms. I think it's, it's kind of a constitutional issue. Like they've respected they've restricted basic freedoms that people should have under this facade of amateurism. I've always felt like that being able to profit off your own likeness is the first step. I also like Andrew does believe that people who contribute to a a revenue generating team and a revenue generating, generating sport should receive some other type of compensation as well. You're not going to get much arguments here. I don't think it all seems to make just too much sense. And the fact that it makes that much sense and yet has been this way for years is kind of crazy. All right, we're going to take another commercial break. But first, don't forget, maybe the best part of the show coming up next. It's a mailbag. It's not just a home or a car. It's the six months you save to get your Ultra HD flat screen just in time for football season. It's the overtime you work for that third car so that your team can drive themselves to practice. While other insurance companies just see them as a bundle or a combo, State Farm agent Mark Rossetti sees your home and car as things you work really hard for. Mark understands what your things really mean to you and is here to help you give them the protection they deserve. Visit Mark Rossetti at 613 Oak Street in Aberdeen for your home and auto insurance today. Thank you again to our sponsors, State Farm agent Mark Rossetti, the law offices of Jeffrey A. Damashevitz and Oli Penn Real Estate. Now to the meat of the episode, all of the important discussions that we need to have. The mailbag. Justin, I see that you're bringing one back here. We definitely got a lot of discussion on Facebook off of this. Daniel, sidetracking the show has become my specialty. Yes. Can I have can I have 180 seconds to talk about Gardner Minshew before we go into the mailbag? Uh, Give me three minutes. That's can three we talk minutes. about Gardner yeah. Minshew for the rest of the show? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I found some stats. I'll allow about, it. I found some stats about Gardner Minshew that I thought were really interesting. If you listened to the show last week, you know that I rambled about Gardner Minshew who is a quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, formerly Washington State Cougar. And I find myself personally getting really, really, really annoyed by the fact that every national media person, when mentioning Minshew or the Jaguars, seems to talk about him as a bridge to the next quarterback. Like they've discounted the possibility 
that he could be the future of the Jaguars. The only entity that has shown any confidence in Gardner Minshew is the Jaguars themselves, but everyone's ignoring it. The fact that they've said this is our guy. They chose to support him by getting him weapons in the draft. Anyway, I uh, there's a website that we have used in the past called PFF. It's profootballfocus.com. Um, we've used their stats uh, to support Russell Wilson because they named him their MVP. They do kind of a analytical approach that's somewhat statistical, but they base it more on what the player actually does. So like if you throw a bubble screen and you throw it on target, you only get credit for the throw of the bubble screen and not the 90 yard touchdown that happens afterwards. Um, and they do ratings on all the different players. Last year of all quarterbacks, uh, Russell Wilson was the MVP. He had the most impact on his team. Now As I thought it was been. exactly. And there was a couple things I thought were really interesting. Now, the big knock on Gardner Minshew has been that he has average arm strength. And I believe that's true. He has average arm strength. I feel like we saw it demonstrated in games at times. But during his rookie season, did you know that Gardner Minshew ranked third among all quarterbacks in the NFL, according to PFF, on throws 20 yards and further downfield? Russell wow. Wilson had really? the number one ranking at 98.9. Deshaun Watson was second at 98.2. And Gardner Minshew was third at 94.7. So despite the fact that we saw it demonstrated that his arm strength is not, you know, on the level of guys like Russell and Patrick Mahomes and, you know, probably Aaron Rodgers, even at the age of 36, he still managed to be incredibly efficient throwing the ball 20 yards and further downfield. Now, the point that I made last week was that compared to other rookies, the first-round picks in Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray, I feel like Minshew was treated like a cast-off. According to PFF, he was the top-ranked rookie in efficiency. He was All the rookies didn't do particularly well. But at 20th, at 20th out of 32 qualifying quarterbacks, Minshew was ranked... Four spots higher than Daniel Jones at 24 and five spots higher than Kyler Murray at 25. So Gardner Minshew, okay, if you're listening to the national media dismissing him left at left and right, don't buy into the propaganda, okay? Gardner Minshew, as much as Kyler Murray, as much as Daniel Jones, as much as any other rookie quarterback, has a great chance to be the future of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he should not be written off. End of rant. And also further proven by the fact that the only quarterback they took in the draft came from backup QBU, Oregon State. Yeah. And a, a lot of Go analysts Beavers. were speculating, they were speculating that the Jaguars were going to pick a quarterback early, and they did not do that. They didn't even pick a quarterback in the mid-rounds. They waited until the end, and they picked a quarterback that nobody else wanted. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I just... I. I'm, I have to be able to talk about Gardner Minshew, guys. I, the thing about Gardner Minshew is, first off, I want to say I don't, as far as the the point where the throws that you see the demonstration of arm talent on, it's not the deep throws. My understanding is I'm not actually a quarterback, but I don't think it's the deep throws that require the most arm talent. It's the out routes. Um, it's really it takes a lot of zip to get a an out route to the core to the receiver in a place that he can catch it before he gets to the sideline so he can still turn up. And I, I my understanding of how 
NFL quarterbacking work is that's the that those are the routes the out routes are the routes where you see the demonstration of of uh, like velocity taking uh, taking place. Um, Daniel might be better at that, but uh, but more actually in defense of Gardner Minshew, a Gardner Minshew has all of the the things that you can't measure he has the attitude he has the leadership he has the every intangible he has it he's an amazing person to lead a team the only question is whether he has the people around him and whether he has the arm talent to be able to allow them to succeed i think he does and I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna be able to see whether he does or not. But I just, I really want to emphasize the fact that Gardner Minshew has been amazing in in every, honestly, in everything that he could have done outside of being an athletic freak. Which he's he's not an athletic freak. He's a, an excellent quarterback, but he is his, where he shines is in his his attitude, the way that he the way that he talks to people, the way he relates with people. That's amazing, and he it allowed him to come in as a a transfer from Mississippi into WSU, and literally take over Pullman and the entire Washington State fan base. Everyone is 100% on board with Gardner Minshew, and it's because he's a really exceptional person outside of his arm, which is not as talented as, you know, Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if you guys... uh... I was pretty brief, and Andrew talked for a long time. Just wanted to point that out. I want to point out that I love Gardner Minshew. Found that article, but <laughs> or I saw a write-up of Bill Belichick's um, qualifications for what he was looking for in a quarterback way back before he was the Patriots head coach. And twice in his list of I think five qualifications, he lists football sport smarts and game management. It was above talent, arm strength, and all that. So uh, what Jimmy's saying? Listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daniel, do you I'm have thoughts on Gardner Minshew? Uh, he's awesome, and yeah. I am right there with all of you guys. Like, <laughs> okay, not much else to say here. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get to the mailbag, but I'm gonna derail us one more time. Okay? Again? <laughs> <laughs> because because there's something that uh, I think that needs to be discussed very briefly, and that is the schedule release for the Seahawks. It's kind of, for me, I know they made a really big deal about it. They did a three-hour special on ESPN. It's kind of a... It's not that big a deal. We already know who they're playing. It's interesting to see um, when they're playing them, where they're playing them, and to me, I had two big takeaways from looking at the schedule. One is a week six bye is kind of early. That sucks. Also, 
the NFL is considering the possibility if they can't start on time that they might take the first four weeks of games and tack them on to the end, which would mean that the Seahawks would have a week two bye, which would be even suckier. Um, you kind of want that to be in the middle, but more towards the end of the season for guys to be, you know, recovered and refreshed from injuries and, you know, just physically. The other thing is there's five East Coast trips in here. And four of them are 10 a.m. kickoffs, which kind of sucks. Those west to east 10 o'clock games are always a little bit difficult. And, you know, knowing that the Seahawks get to play the AFC East and the NFC East is great for matchups. It's not so great for travel. Yeah, absolutely. You see some of the matchups there and it's. Also going to be really weird week two playing the New England Patriots on Sunday night football with no Tom Brady. That's going to be a, that's going to be very interesting to watch just a team that's going to be led by someone else for the first time in forever. So that's going to be really weird. And that's a uh, Sunday they, night game. Yeah. And I was, I'm a little bummed that Brady went to a team that they're not playing this year. So that was also a little bit of a bummer, but you're right about the the matchups all seem very good. Those trips could be kind of tough, but last at, year I think they're Buffalo rec- stuff. Yeah, especially that late, November eighth. So it's going to be cold and messy there. Um, but they did pretty well on the road last season, really well on the road last season. And they had some of those East Coast trips in there too, so I think they figured out some form of some formula there to help them out with that. All right, can, uh, my can we... my biggest takeaway was the fact that there is not a prime time Seattle Seahawks, San Francisco 49ers game, which seems like the NFL hates ratings since that's a really <laughs> high rated game every time it happens on prime time. I'm honestly. I, I was honestly, all joking aside, really surprised by that because it seems like a no-brainer. That That is a huge game that everyone on the West Coast wants to watch, but we're not going to get it in prime time unless they flex it later in the season. Yeah, that seems like a super weird one. That rivalry it came back in earnest last year, and to not have it in a prime time slot is very odd. And we finally have you derailed the show enough, Justin? I'd like to derail <laughs> us again by going to the mailbag. Okay. Hey, <laughs> what a derailment. Wow. <laughs> so right. we did. So, we had a question last yeah. week. Wait a that minute. The mailbag. Yes, the mailbag. Stuff. Send us your stuff in a mailbag. Go ahead, Justin. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew, for the imaging from the mailbag segment, which is. <laughs> By far, my favorite of any imaging we have in this entire show. (laughs) So, we had a question last week that sparked a poll, which sparked quite a bit of controversy, uh, about as much controversy as we've had on this show, if I'm being quite honest. The question was, what's the best place to get a burger locally? Yeah, And in Grays Harbor, you know, we talked about a few different places. Lighthouse was my choice. Daniel also loved Lighthouse, but he brought up Grizzly Den and Hoquiam. And as the Hoquiam guy, I trusted <laughs> Daniel that the Grizzly Den was the way to go. Um, Andrew said Gene Stop and Go, but we all also agreed that we love Lighthouse. So I posted a poll and I thought, let's represent 
uh, one place from each of the four major towns that are in Grays Harbor. So we have Lighthouse Drive-In from Aberdeen. We have Gene Stop and Go from Montesano. Grizzly Den from Hoquiam, Smitty's in and out from Elma, which I felt immediately afterwards that Smitty's, that was an omission on my part, not to mention it. I've eaten at Smitty's a few times. It's very good, I'd say, on par with these other places as well. So the poll finished with the Lighthouse Drive-In winning 28.9% of the vote. This Whoa. was close. Wow. It was 28.9%. Second place was Gene's Stop and Go at 25.6%. Third place was Smitty's at 24.4. And Daniel, I trusted you. The Grizzly Den got (laughs) 21.1. And the biggest controversy we had on this question was that people kept responding saying, what, no humdinger? Now, if you'll remember last week's mailbag segment, I said, what about humdinger? And Daniel said, (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. And no, you're wrong. Grizzly Den is better. So Daniel, commend yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is, and I've found out more about why it's better. Uh, and I'll also mention again, I love Humdinger. It's great. Lots of childhood memories there. But when it comes to the better burger, it is the Grizzly Den. And I think that's what's clouding a lot of people's judgment is the Humdinger has so much nostalgia built up into it. It's a great place to get a burger, fries, ice cream cones was what I got when I was a kid there more often than anything. But I also found out that the Grizzly Den makes all of their own stuff from scratch. Like, it is so good. Uh, Jimmy's wife, Jessica, brought that up to me recently, that they make everything from scratch. Their burgers are absolutely delicious, and I felt a little bit more uh, confirmed of my thought there when I talked to both Jimmy and his wife, Jess. The Grizzly Den, you have to go there. I'm sensing a bunch of these people haven't been there in forever. It's right on the edge of Hoquiam out towards Ocean Shores, and I don't feel like people go there enough. It's so good. It's and they're not a sponsor. Uh, not the same as it was when yeah. I was in high school. It, the quality is way better. So maybe people have, you know, gone back to that old memory of when they were in high school, and they were like, oh, that, that place sucks, but not yeah. so anymore. Okay, so just to be clear, you are saying people who prefer – Humdinger to Grizzly Den are objectively wrong. Okay, I got it. So I think what I'm going to do next week, I got so much You always pushback. try and make me a villain in everything. You always try and throw me under the bus. It's my I job. knew I was going to – I also said in last week's show that I knew I was going to take heat for it. I knew it. I knew it. And, you, and again, and you humding, stuck to your guns. Humdinger, humdinger is great. I love the burgers at Grizzly Den. They're next level. They're so good. Okay, so the place that you love the most was fourth out of four in our poll. So what I'm going to do now is post the poll the right way for next week. So I'm going to put Lighthouse, Gene Stop and Go, Humdinger, and Smitty's and see if Humdinger comes out on top like so many people are telling me that it should. Like basically the response that I got to the poll was, are you assuming this is for second place? Because obviously Humdinger is the best. It's so funny, though, because you're also misrepresenting me. I didn't say that that was that didn't even win my favorite <laughs> plot. I said the lighthouse did and they right. ended up winning. So you, you I, should, uh, I was trying to pick a spot, one for each town. And Grizzly Den was my nomination for Hoquiam. That's all you I should put a caveat in there, though, that people can only vote if they have dined at this place within the last five years. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, Daniel, <laughs> and, you think that I misrepresented your words and opinion? That doesn't sound like me. Okay, moving on to the next question. 
And <laughs> this one, <laughs> this one came from this one came from Caleb. We're we're moving on from burgers, okay? I won. Okay. Um, the question from Caleb was: Should Ken Griffey Jr. have been the first unanimous Hall of Famer? Yes. yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna moving say okay, you got baseball guys over here in the Hargrove household, Jimmy and Daniel. You guys take this one first. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and um, we are also part of the sample group that Ken Griffey Jr. is our all-time favorite player of all time ever and forever and always. In all sports. <laughs> so, yes, he should have been. The fact that you had some curmudgeonly baseball writer going, oh, I can't be the first, you know, nah, I'm not going to vote for him. I mean, you know, honestly... There was probably a guy before that who should have been oh, unanimously a unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer. So maybe he shouldn't have been the first one, but the fact that there hadn't been one before him, he then should have been the first one. The fact that Mariano Rivera was the only unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer is absolutely insane because they still like to hold on to this weird, stupid argument that a designated hitter should be viewed as less of a player because they don't play in the field. And yet every single one of them thought, oh, yeah, a guy who pitches one inning every now and then. Um, yeah, he should be the first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's absolutely insane. It's as insane as when Dennis Eckersley won the league MVP for doing the same thing. It's like, you know how these guys became relievers? They sucked at starting at some point in their career. And they're like, hey, maybe you can throw well for an inning or two. So now you're telling me that all these bums who couldn't play be a starting pitcher now get to be thought of as some of the greatest ever when they're trashing designated hitters? It's ridiculous. I agree. That, <laughs> okay, that might be the greatest answer you've given to any question in the history of either iteration of this show or any show in the history of your existence. That was yes. so. Congratulations, that was amazing. <laughs> I would answer this by saying the same thing I said when this big controversy came up with Derek Jeter of, oh, how was Derek Jeter not a unanimous Hall of Famer? It is New York elitism, stupid East Coast bias at its absolute finest. And they get away with this garbage. Yep. I mean, I have no problem with Mariano Rivera being a unanimous Hall of Famer. I would have had no problem with 20 people before him being a unanimous, unanimous Hall of Famer. My point is, I don't give a rat's you-know-what. I don't care. <laughs> I wish they wouldn't release the percentages. Like, can we just know who gets in and who doesn't? I don't care if it's unanimous. You made the Hall of Fame in that moment. I should never feel this, but I felt bad for Derek Jeter because somehow the fact that he was inducted into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot was tarnished by the fact that he wasn't unanimous. It's so ridiculous. Can we just say you're a Hall of Famer, you're not a Hall of Famer without having to create all this extra controversy over it. Like, but then what would we talk about? Ken yeah. Griffey, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I do this no, continuously. Fine. I do yeah. this continuously. I love to argue over crap, but then I want to eliminate things that cause arguments. <laughs> Basically, I think I've said this on the air multiple times. For my money, Ken Griffey Jr. is the greatest baseball player I have seen with my eyes in the history of my life. So if anybody that I've seen since I was born in 1985 should be a unanimous hall of famer. It's Ken Griffey jr. And no one else. 
I think it should be designated for those once-in-a-generation players, and I think he definitely was. at Once-in-a-generation at like their position, outfield, infield. You know, Mariano Rivera, I think, would qualify. Definitely Mike Trout should be unanimous when his time comes. So. Not Derek Jeter. He wasn't even the best shortstop on no. his own team yeah. the entire career. <laughs> Andrew, what are your thoughts? I just think that... Okay, I'm not a baseball player. I'm not even a diehard baseball fan. I'm on the record as being a Mariners Fairweather fan. I love them, but I don't really care deeply about them after they start sucking a month into the season. (laughs) But the fact that Mariano Rivera, who apparently... Again, I'm not a baseball fan. Was a reliever. <laughs> the fact that Mariano Rivera the was the first <laughs> unanimous Hall of Famer, and they basically let Edgar in because they were like, I guess we better let him in because, oh, whatever. I guess we'll finally let him in eventually. That is, that was, I have no words for the the depth of my disregard for the people that are selecting the baseball hall of fame how how can you take yourself seriously and not induct the greatest player at his position into the hall of fame until you absolutely have to so for me this whole issue is kind of a non-issue because i feel like the baseball hall of fame is a fraud it's based on (laughs) ridiculous ridiculous ideas from some generation of baseball white writers that have nothing to do with actual sports as they're played in any time in the last 50 years. Well, you heard it here first, people. Uh, You've got a passionate rant from someone who said Mariano Rivera is apparently a reliever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The last question is from Francis. And he wants to know, toilet paper over or under when you put it on the roll? Now, is he meaning like the toilet paper goes yeah, uh, like yeah this yeah. way He's talking about, or okay? Yeah. yeah. Um, you you can't I, say this way or okay and make motions because people oh, right. on the radio don't know what that means. <laughs> That's true. Mo- motions. Um, I was a little confused by over or under because it's, it's I either, completely don't care. As you pull I, it I towards just, you. It is either coming off of the top of the roll as you pour it towards you, or it's coming off of the bottom of the roll as it, okay, you pull it towards okay. you. That's I got you. Over is See, on the top, that's... under is is uh, on the bottom. Did you say, did no, you, say you completely don't care? Yeah, I knew Justin was going to have an issue with this because he's a weirdo who cares way too much about stuff like this. But I just put the roll on and I don't think about it. And whichever way it is, then that's the way it is because yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. He wonders why he can't okay, get at America, the toilet paper. Okay, America, take advice from the guy who makes quesadillas in the microwave <laughs> when he oh. has a perfectly good functioning <laughs> oven that's literally like four feet from the microwave in his house. Real quesadillas are Are you really going to take advice Justin. from the guy who all of his Spotify playlists is filled with Will Smith and Taylor Swift? <laughs> Hey, T Sweezy's all right. <laughs> okay, I counted. I counted. It's roughly forty-five percent. Wow. Oh my gosh. 
Okay, and the way that this came up, I'm going to out myself because Daniel's going to bring this up if I don't. I was on a drive with my family, (laughs) and we were playing my Spotify playlist, and my son said, Dad, do you know the words to every Will Smith song? And And I said, I think that a more accurate description would be, I know most of the words to most Will Smith songs. And then he said, Dad, I'm kind of concerned about the amount of space in your brain that's taken up by Will Smith and Taylor Swift lyrics. (laughs) If he takes account for office quotes, he'll be even more concerned. (laughs) All right, so I knew that I would be alone in my non-opinionated nature over the toilet paper thing. So which one is, like, why does it matter? Why does it matter, and which one is it? Over, over is right. That's just the way it is. Over I've is heard right. It explained like this: beards are good, mullets are bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Wait, just in a second. Beards are good, mullets are bad. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm gonna. Okay, I'm gonna throw professional knowledge and experience at you all right i doubt it when i was a teenager i worked for about three months for a janitorial company and part of my job was to replace toilet paper and this janitorial company that i worked for for a few months as a teenager told me this is the right way to do it okay all right it goes goes over it goes over so so what if so, what category goes for you just setting the roll on top of the dispenser, <laughs> not actually putting it lazy? In? Yeah. <laughs> That's what you do when you're in a hurry. That's what you do I, when you don't have time. Okay, uh, it takes like two seconds. So that's like ninety eight percent of my life. <laughs> Justin it is mostly right. Just, I actually do know the answer to this. Justin is mostly right. The actual answer is it is over unless you have a cat who likes toilet paper or you have a toddler. Either of those situations oh, makes sense. it so that <laughs> yeah. under is the correct way to do the toilet paper because over is always right unless putting it over is going to result in the entire bathroom being full of unrolled toilet paper which is what happens if a cat or a toddler gets at toilet paper that's put on the correct way well that's I also don't a good a argument cat. against both cats Nailed and toddlers <laughs> i don't have a cat and i have at one point in my life had three separate toddlers all of whom had the propensity to roll all the toilet paper off the roll and if this tells you anything about me I never figured out that if you flip it the other way it would prevent that <laughs> me neither oh that's amazing <laughs> you've just enlightened me <laughs> he's got a toddler now this is going to change his change life change my world <laughs> oh. oh man so with that with Andrew changing lives That's going to be it for our show today. So for my co-host, Justin, the Taylor Swift lover, Damashevitz. T-Sweezy. I used to be 
I used to be ashamed by that, but I'm going to wear it. I'm going to wear a Swifty badge, like a badge of honor on my lapel <laughs> for the rest of my life. I love Taylor Swift. <laughs> and for my co-host, Daniel, worse golfer than a nine-year-old Hargrove. Uh, and our producer, Andrew, the long-winded Minshew. Gross. I didn't write that. And I, Andrew, Jimmy wrote no, that? Justin wrote no, that? No, I did Long-winded on Minshew because he talked about Minshew for a long time. Were you paying attention? That's too long and of a nickname, Justin. And for our, our special <laughs> guest co-host, Jimmy Father of a golf prodigy, Hargrove. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to The Scrimmage.